BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy, Joel Ortiz, and I want everybody to make sure that they subscribe and download the podcast, Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einenko. Yo, Tim, I hope all is well. You my guy. I know these interviews are not interviews. They're actually conversations, and I appreciate them all. Yeah, well. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ice-T. I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews. With Tim I and Cal. It is old fucking official. All right? Stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library Rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It's cold. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy Farrell March in the building. I need y'all to make sure you subscribe and download to the podcast Library Rap. Hip hop interviews with your boy Tim Einenkel. You already know. Stop. Check it out, my man. This is the music of a hip hop band. Jazz. Well, you can call it that. But this jazz retains a new format. Point. When you misjudge us, speculated, created. He's the creator of Stesasonic. He's a legend and defines what it is to be hip hop. He's an MC, music producer, artist developer, celebrity, just an, an, a crazy talent. He's Professor Daddy O, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Einigel and allhiphop.com. Professor Daddy O, thank you so much for joining me on the library with Tim Einigel. Thanks for having me, man. You know, me and you always have great conversations. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, this I have is, to. This is a pleasure. Yes. I have to ask you about self-destruction. And the reason why self-destruction is really important to me is because for some reason, when I was in fifth grade going to school in East Harlem, I brought the cassette tape to my school. Right. My teacher, right. who was really big in the civil rights movement and a oh, big advocate, cool. she let me present it to the class. I cannot tell you what I said. I was in fifth grade, but I made sure I memorized that entire record you wow. know, front and back. Uh, so I still could spit it today. I won't because I don't want to embarrass myself. But, you know, <laughs> what I ask you about. So what, what I like is if you could take me back to 1989 when that dropped and why was that an important moment for hip hop and also for, for, the, for, the, for, for, for the stage, for America? Well, so self-destruction, the effort and the Stop the Violence movement was um, – um, it was really the brainchild of KRS-One, and it was, be, um, you know, quickly it became, uh, we all began to be little brainchilds underneath him, but um, there was a, a concert at Nassau Coliseum, big rap concert, because that's when we was doing, like, the big rap concerts, and a young man got killed for some jewelry, and it seemed, or felt, like the press was blaming us, and so self-destruction was actually an answer 
to that. Uh, uh, um, I always I always mention uh, Nelson Georgia and Carly, who were part of the uh, uh, the admin team, if you want to say so. Um, I, I don't think that the project could have been done without them. And shouting them out right now because they're going to work with me as I move on um, the second the second phase of this, or as we've been looking at it, it might be more than the second phase. But um, um, so we all got together. Uh, I guess conceptually, I'm sure in somebody's head, we are the world was in the back of somebody's mind, right? Mm-hmm. Because I never forget, you know, all the first press said, you know, the rap, we are the world or, or whatever, right? So, but we were attacking um, really mainly one thing, which was violence, which is why it came under the banner of the Stop the Violence movement. Um, this time around, um, I'm addressing more than violence because more than violence plague our youth nowadays. So now I'm addressing teen trafficking. I'm I'm addressing, um, which goes hand in hand with teen prostitution. I'm addressing suicide. I'm addressing the opioid crisis. Um, Just things that teens are going through that they're talking only to themselves about because a lot of times, and that's no disrespect to me or you, but a lot of times adults just don't listen to them and their pain. So they they kind of have pity parties amongst themselves while they're taking these opioids or whatever. You know, people, they don't cry. They do like it. it it's, it's so I want to attack um, and I'm using attack, but I, I want to address um, the, the issues that plague our youth nowadays. And I also have a, um, I got a thought, man, maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But people, we often say, that words have power. And in the first effort of this movement, um, or the first movement, we only said self-destruction, you're headed for self-destruction, Biggie died. Self-destruction, you're headed for self-destruction, self-destruction, you're headed for self-destruction, Mac Miller commits suicide. Like, I don't know how much our words might have had, but I've I've addressed the producers that I'm working with, with DJ Premier being one of them, who's going to do my hook. And I said, look, man, my hook's got to resemble either Sam Cooke's change is going to come, Bill with his lovely day or something like that. Something I learned from Jalil of Houdini probably a year ago. He taught me that, Daddy, you can be dark in the subject matter of a song, but you can come out on the chorus. And so we're going to do that because I really don't want to say I don't want to say bad things. The, 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 the verses, yes, they will be dark. I got I got my song writing about dark things. I, you know, um, you know, I got people writing about some dark things, but we're definitely going to show some hope in the hook. With, uh, I want to, of course, talk about self-destruction too, but with self-destruction one, what was the, what was the long-term plan with it? What was the, all right, we write a song and then what was the discussion about? All right, what, what do we do afterwards? And do you feel that was followed through at all? Uh, well, there wasn't a lot of talk for us. There might have been something internally that Chris had in his mind in terms of him being like the 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 El Presidente of the Stop the Violence movement. We did do a documentary that went along with it, and we did do a, a, a few press conferences, but there was really no long-term extended plan, I believe. This is and this is just the daddy talking. 
I believe the plan might have been to continue to work with the Urban League, who took all the proceeds um, for the first self-destruction, but then that became a fiasco. Like, it mm. became a, a mess. So maybe that was kind of what it was, but the, the follow-through wasn't really presented to the artist. Maybe Chris, maybe D-Nice. They were both on job, and D-Nice produced the record, but I know it wasn't extended to, like, uh, us or chucking them or you know what I mean like because we were there for anything they asked us to do so when they asked us to do a press conference me and Chuck show up when they asked us to do anything we show up but you know kind of sort of after the life of the record it, it was different and, and 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 it's interesting to talk about that because we made a song in 1985 called Africa mm-hmm. and Africa had some long extending properties. We did a, a a deal with the Africa Fund. We got study guides and everything put into the schools. Like it extended far beyond the record. And so I think that um I I, I don't know, maybe the first one could have been done like that. I, I mean I know we got great plans for the second one. It's crazy you talk about Africa. That was the song that Anytime there's a rainy day in school, they wheeled out the the VHS, you know, right. into our auditorium, and there was wow. like a mix of songs they could play, and definitely Africa was one of them. And we, wow. the entire school, would know that uh, by heart. Uh, what I like, I, I always like your lyrics, and I, you know, I've asked you about your your lyrics and new stuff you've done. But I, I, I as a kid who knows the self destruction record by heart, I've always wanted to ask you about the lyrics you you know you guys do with uh, straight straight from the mouth of wise and daddy o and right. your verse on that. Can you kind of talk about uh the purpose of the verse for you, but also kind of the writing process at that time? So anytime I, I don't think it's too much different right now, but but anytime we addressed an issue. So of course for us Africa came first. I would say Africa is probably the reason that Sonic even did the self-destruction record because Africa was such a challenge, right? It was like, okay, we're going to make this record. Apartheid is going on. We saw videos of the necklacing and all of the things that they were doing, stopping people because of their cards and all of this, you know, the colored and the black and all of that. And so we just said to ourselves, it can't be corny. Like Mm -hmm. if we're going to do any of this, it can't be corny because you know, it, it, it wasn't something in particularly that hip hop was known for. You might have heard, you know, pieces of it, segments of it, and people's lyrics. Segment of it, and maybe a Melly Mel lyric. Segment of a segment of it, and a little Rodney C lyric, a Ruby D lyric. But it wasn't, um, it, it it wasn't prevalent. Like people, it was more party music. So even moving into records, our bigger records maybe even now, but definitely then, you know, ended up being, you know, party songs. So we knew we was going to do Africa. We just knew it, it couldn't be corny. And so we went into the same process doing self-destruction. One of the things I'm proud of with the original self-destruction is I always say to people, Stetson Sonic owns more real estate on that than anybody else because we show up three times. The light shows up in the top, me and Wise in the middle, and then and then Fuquan right after Heavy D. So we actually have more rhyme space than anybody else on that particular song. But we just knew that we couldn't be corny. And so we knew we wanted to move into that area. We we kind of knew it, Um, you know, uh, 
I was in the studio. I always tell the story about being in the studio when LL Cool J wrote MC Light's rhyme. Yeah. So I was around those people when they were writing what they were writing. So I knew how we kind of had to come. And then for me, um, cause I'm, you know, that's why Stetsasonic is such a big band. Um, I needed to include, I, you know, I knew Wise, I knew they wasn't going to use Wise to do any of his human mix machine beatbox stuff. So I was like, I got to get Wise in here somewhere. So I said, you know what? Wise is just wrong with me. Um, before I get into the self-destruction too, I want to, there's, so years ago I interviewed Kumo D and Kumo D right. brought up his uh, beef with LL Cool J. And he said it, the big thing that he felt the media did not get about the beef was not because Ella was this new guy coming up and he was this older guy and Ella was taking the light that he felt that Ella was that there was this kind of empowering movement in hip hop that was happening, a positive change. And then Ella came out and kind of said, no, don't worry about it. You don't have to work hard. You can be a drug dealer, whatever, whatever. And that was his major, <laughs> that was his major beef with it. Did you, did you kind of see LL or even like a group of guys like that coming up? And did you, is that, was that a conversation people were having about like new MCs like LL back then? Well, I mean, in, in that context, no. Um, one of the things that Delight always informed us, and I'm still the same way now, musically, as he always said, Stetsasonic makes music for the mind, the body, and the soul. So you would always hear, you could hear Freedom of Death or Africa, but you also hear Sally and Susie, and then you also hear like a talk and all that jazz, which kind of floats between the two. Made it, made it big on the dance charts, but we're still talking about a serious issue. Um, I've always looked at music as music, right? So everybody's just not going to make the same music. And some people are going to make, um, you know, quote unquote what people call message music and some people are not right i mean it's going to be the the last poets but then you're going to have wild man steve on the other side so um we as a band and i can only in most cases i can only speak for stetsasonic unless somebody else was around us i can speak for public enemy in some cases because we shared a tour bus for that long and we've been that kind of bonded group um we've always welcomed everything new, like everything new. We've always welcomed. I remember being on tour and Chuck and I being on the bus with, like I said, Stetsasonic and Public Enemy shared a tour bus and somebody turning us on to Dope Man by NWA. Mm. And Chuck and I liked the record. And besides for Wise, I don't remember anybody on that bus agreeing with us. I remember everybody kind of shooting us down like this is whack. And, and we're like, no, it's not. It's just not you. Like, it's not New York. But you can't say that it's whack. Right. You know what I mean? And 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 Wise liked it and went on to be friends with Easy e and Ren and all of that. But we just we always welcome things because we were like, oh, man, this is great. We're expanding like we're more like like we always knew it could be more than New York which is, you know, I had a friendship with Luke years ago. God bless the dead. I had a friendship with MC Breed and Flint. Like I all, I've always, and, and even if you hear my records now, like even on my new album that I got coming out, Andre Nicotina's on my album. Hmm. And if you're not from Sacramento and all that, you might not even know who he is, but I've always welcomed, and we have always welcomed anything new. So LL for us was just a new bright light. Like, oh, this is dope. We thought he was, the one thing we laughed at is the first Def Jam record was not I Need a Beat. It was on Party Time and it was 
Tila Rocks, It's Yours. And we thought I Need a Beat and It's Yours was the same record. Like, conceptually, it's the same record, different kind of beat, different kind of, but the same thing. So he's like, oh, so what they do, they just drop Tila Rock and put this young boy on? Like, we talked about that. But we welcomed anything new that was coming, man. We welcomed it because we always believed that the more styles and the more people that came up that was dope, that would give hip hop more of a chance. When you, speaking of uh, hip hop being more than New York, uh, you, when you, when you, as you mentioned, you did the, the track Africa, you, you also were able to go on tour, world tour with that. Uh, what was the, what was the acceptance like going to different countries when you were, uh, when you were on tour at that time in 1986, 1987, uh, did you know that it, like hip hop has already reached kind of worldwide status in that way? We didn't know that, but let me tell you this. So shout out, God bless it, that day Funkin' Clown, right? Our first tour was overseas. I'm saying tour. We did shows in New York and stuff. Our first tour, I'm talking about night, back-to-back nights, was overseas. And so I always liken us, and I mean, I'm not trying to be that kind of comparison, but I always liken us to the Beatles because I remember the Beatles talking about cutting their teeth in Liverpool before they was to play London and mm-hmm. get all the booze out and all of that. The one thing that happened with us, we didn't get no booze because anybody that knows Stetsasonic and Tyrone Williams can attest to it probably better than anybody else. We were a stage band first. We didn't even think about making records. We just wanted to blow people off the stage. So we learned how to rock that stage first. Disco fever, all them clubs. We played all them clubs with no records. The Roxy, all of that. So when we went on tour for the first time overseas, I mean, brother, it was like a godsend because there was no time limit. Mm. So when we, because when we got back to the States, now it was a time limit. You had to be off stage by um by 11 or, they get, or the headliner gets charged more records, I mean, more money and all of that kind of stuff. When we went overseas... Man, we were playing for an hour. Chuck D always says his the best show he's ever seen was Stetsasonic um, at the Paradiso in Amsterdam because we played two hours straight. Wow. So the acceptance, we never knew they didn't accept it because, man, listen, we got off that tour bus in London. The people knew every member. Like, like the way I knew the Temptations or the Jackson 5 when I was a little kid, the kids in London knew every member, all had their favorite members. Mm-hmm. So don't think, oh, everybody loved daddy. Oh, some, some guys was going to DBC, somebody was going to, and one person walked up to Wise and said, you're the human mix machine, and turned his back and said, sign my jacket. And Wise was like, what? Like, we never heard, you know, we New York kids trying to be fly. We ain't never heard nobody writing on their clothing. You know, unless it was shirt kings and them making something fly. And Wise was like, what? He said, sign my jacket. And why I signed this jacket? And it was crazy. We was going overseas, like signing T-shirts and tagging people's pants. We like, yo, this is nothing. We felt like superstars, man. And I was like, that was eight. I think that was eighty-six. Oh. Uh, I want to turn to uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. I'll probably be all over the place, but self destruction. Self destruction to um, you know, your the, the producers that you have on a premier professor, large professor, Pete Rock, Molly Marr. Easy Moby, KG, you know, all so many. Uh, right. and, and I was listening to and reading interviews that you've done on self-destruction too. And and it seems like your plan is to create the beat first, 
and then get the MCs on it afterwards. Absolutely. Uh, because, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just why, why that way in terms of, uh, I mean, do you, do you want the, eventually do you want the MCs to actually hear the beat to write to, or would they be writing something? Um, part of it is that, and part of it is that as I thought about self, so, so this idea of self-destruction too, I had in my mind for a long period of time. Right? I've been wanting to do it. I spoke to Chris about this years ago. And I, I mean, you know, um, I'll be brutally honest. Spoke to Chris about it years ago. Most people know this KRS-One doesn't take planes. He was driving to L.A. in the car, and we had like this three-hour conversation about what to do, and we started talking about violence, and he, he mentioned some great things. Like this time around, we need to talk about what violence is. Like what is violence? Is childbirth violence? Is taking drugs violence? Like, oh, man, this is great, Chris. You know, we're going to get this done. And then Chris gets out to L.A., which I didn't know what he was going to L.A. for. And there, at that particular year, there was a Grammy Award, and he gets out there and makes this record called Self-Construction with, like, a bunch of artists. Like, I think Buster's on it, Neo singing the hook. The record's trash. It's basura. It's like we were saying in New York, it's trash. But it, it, it felt weird to me because I thought me and him was going to be working together on Self-Destruction too. But fast forward, I still tell them I'm going to do self-destruction too. When I put out, um, I think it was when I put out Everybody But Karis One, which is the first of my solo albums for this set. Um, right. um, I did a, I did a, I did a big date with Chris, a huge date with Chris in, um, in South Carolina. I told him I'm, I'm working on it. He said, yeah, you've been working on that for a while, man. You know, just keep me posted. So I got his, his, his blessing on it. But when I thought about it, I said, I can't go about this in the same way. Like, I need so the reason I came up with those producers because I said in my house, I said in my head, how can I get the best track ever? And so I'm always, and I tell this to all my friends, I'm always sitting on heat. I got a, a slew of producers that's bananas, dope mellow, C Doc, um, Outer Reach, Black Snow, uh, uh, what's the other kid? Um, um, uh, it's just a bunch of them. They they always making heat for me, but. That's me, and that's Daddy-O, and that's Daddy-O Records, and those guys, no disrespect to them, but they don't have the marquee. And I said, how can I get all of that in one? Because I need some marquee, but I need a super track. And I said, you know, what if... And I just sat and I thought, I said, what if I got like five or six dudes to work on the same joint? And I said, that's crazy. So I just got on my Instagram and, and, and said, hey, I want, I want you, I want you, I want you. And to my surprise, I guess it's because we, you know, we really try to keep my name clean. They all hit me back. They all agreed. And um, so that's the idea. The idea is to make heat that's undeniable heat that would almost be undeniable instrumental heat. And then, you know, pile on the MCs after that. And, and you know, just on the on the rapper side, I've said it before, we're working with the new guys. Um, mostly a lot of new guys. Um, a lot of guys have already kind of signed on. And, um, you know, I, because I want these young people, I'm, I'm working as the professor. I'm giving them assignments to write about. Mm -hmm. So I got one guy writing about doing a murder, but not feeling good about it. I got a, a another girl writing about pacing in, a, you know, pacing in a clinic and how it feels to get an abortion. I got another girl writing about her mother dying off of opioids 
opening the door and seeing her mother dead on the floor. Like we're going to address, um, like I said, I want to address the ills that the young people have. And I need the young people to be talking about. It. I need them to, I need to feel their pain. And then, like I said, Premier will give me my hope where we could get out and talk about hope. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Have you already, with the MCs you have, have you already kind of put them, sequenced them, so to say? I mean, do you have like no, your tape? No, no, no. I just got people giving me verses, um, you know, like every week is a better week. Like every week we get some new stuff in and we're like super happy. And then one of one of my business guys, um, he's a big fan, Hasib, my man Hasib, he's a big fan of um, of wrestling. So he's giving me this He's giving me this challenge, which I think I'm going to accept, which is he's like, yo, D, don't announce anybody yet, even though I be slipping names out all the time. But don't announce everybody yet. Like, let's do it on like, you know, we'll maybe do every Thursday. We'll do like they do the wrestlers and and we'll announce like who's on it and all of that. So I haven't gotten everybody. A um, lot of big names. A um, lot of people are calling. So what I was saying um, earlier is. I think this is going to be more than one song. And I mean that, and not in the sense of an album as an album, but we have basically, me and my team have basically figured out that this is going to be self-destruction, the series, because we just got through talking to um, Gold Toes and and, um, Black and Brown Entertainment. And so we're going to do a Latino version. And then um, we've been talking to Michael Watts and Carnival Beats about doing a third coast version, um, you know, which is Texans, because it's a lot down here, you know. Um, 
So it, it looks like it's going to be a series of songs um, and not always the same. Like, for instance, for for the for the Third Coast version, of course, I got to deal with Michael Watts. I got to deal with N.O. Joe. I got to deal with Carnival Beats, like all the guys that make the heat here. And then I haven't talked to the West Coast yet. I'm, I'm waiting to talk to my OG Mike Conception about um, executive producing another same gang, but I'm playing it with with uh, with rice paper. <laughs> they've been hit, they've been hitting him about it, and he hasn't been so. Re- I mean, they've been talking to him about this for years, and he hasn't been so receptive. But you know, he's my OG, and he always listens to me, and he always gives me great advice. So we're talking about that. But it looks like it's going to be a series of songs. Um, whether or not there'll be a self destruction album. That's something to think about. I definitely have enough music for it because Rockwaller just came on and just gave me a ridiculous, like Cass is still giving me ridiculous heat. Like I can't even, I'm telling you, I wish I could grab this stuff and say, oh, I'm using it for my album, but they gave it to me for that. So I'm not going to cheat. But I mean, I'm getting heat like, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to feel heat and then I could really recognize like, oh, so-and-so could go on this and really murder it. So, you know, because this is really uh, a, 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 a path into the mind of my A&R mind. Because my, my A&R mind goes super duper deep. Like I see so much things. And there was a lot of things that I did great. And then there was a lot of things that I wanted to do that I didn't. Like I'm the first guy to offer Master P a major deal. I'm the first guy to hear Broken Language by Slew the Hustler and Trigger the Gambler. Like, you know, I, I couldn't get those records when I was at the company that I was at. But those, um, you know, that, my, my A&R mind, I see things all the time. Like, I can, I, I, heard, I had Cardi's album maybe three weeks before it came out. I knew I liked it like that was the smash. Like, I can see things that way. So this allows me to really get some. And I want to change it around, too. Like, I've told my friends and my partners and, 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 and the people that I deal with, my family, that, I literally want to move this thing from the concept of being A and R to curation, which it really is. So this is really a a twist into my curative ideology. I want to ask you, I know you've spoken about him in the past and you've said you'd love to get him on this, uh, on a self-destruction too. Uh, You've talked about Rakim. Yeah. uh, Is there any word on that? And can you, can you tell us, uh, or is it still in the way? I'll keep it a secret, but I'll tell you it's positive. It's definitely positive. Uh, and then speaking, I mean, my thing with Rye is that, first of all, um, I was on Sway once and I said something about Rakim and, and the line that he said, it ain't where you from, it's where you at. And I said Rakim told the biggest lie in hip hop and it went viral. And I I, I kind of meant, I kind of meant it, you know, punchy and, and, and jokey, but it went a little viral. People started getting on me. Oh, what's daddy? Oh, daddy must have a bad beef with Rakim. I never had a beef with Rakim. Like, I actually respect Rakim probably if not as much more than any MC in the world, because he's a guy that stood on his square. Like he never changed mm-hmm. like no MC. I don't, I don't know if there's another MC on the planet besides G rap that could say they never changed. Every MC changed. RZA was love you. Rakim genius was genius over there. Like everybody changed. Even me, I've seen us change. I've seen, I never, Rakim does what Rakim does. And so for that, and for the reason that, I really believe somewhere in the 90 percentile of styles that's out here, Rakim created. You know, it might be about 10% that he doesn't, 
You know, he doesn't really do the animated thing that Buster does and some of that other stuff. But most of these cats, they rock him to the core. You know, and so I just want to, I I want Rakim on this record. I know he's going to give me the, the right things lyrically, but I also want to prove the origin of modern hip hop styles. I mean, that's a big thing with Rakim. I mean, I think you ask any MC and they say like when Rakim came out, it changed how we wrote. Everything, like, everything. I, I want to ask you about your, you've you, you, you talked about how Rakim has, He's not the greatest MC, but he does things great. He does, right. uh, and I want to ask you, what does that mean? What does it mean that he made? He made, you know, he kept on doing the same great thing. Well, I think I think when when Ra when Ra created the rhyme style that he created, which is a hundred percent his, even though he gives a lot of credit to Kaz and Mel, he said he wasn't listening to Mo, but he said he gives a lot of credit to Kaz and Mel. But when he created that style, again, he stands on his square and he never changed, like never changed. Now, I have my partners. I got a lot of friends that believe that he's the greatest in the world. And I, you know, everybody has a personal opinion. For me, the greatest MC to ever live is Melly Mel. And I'm never going to say anything different because I've seen Mel do some things that I just don't think anybody else can do. Um and he don't have to be, he doesn't even have to be relevant right now for me to know that Mel's the greatest. So I'm not gonna, I, I just don't give anybody else that title. There's a Mount Rushmore rap for me, which is Mel, Kumo D and Kaz. I believe all styles come from Mo D and Mel. And then I think that, um, I think that um, the, the, I think Kaz embodied them both. I think Kaz embodied them both, but I, I, you know, I'm always going to give Melly Mel that title. Uh, I think a lot of times when we, uh, when, when, when you read about just Sassani and Daddy-O and, and what you've guys done, I mean, you guys are huge in terms of innovators. And I want to ask you about when you and Wise created the track uh, Faye, which features right. your vocals and, and Wise uh, beatboxing. Right. Uh, it is said to be like kind of the first time we've heard a beatbox in a song. Uh, right. One, one is that from knowing your history, is that true? But two, what what do you think Wise did in terms of changing the art of the beatbox? Um, so, so no, he. It, it, so we was also, you know, you gotta remember, Lottie Dottie and Latoya came before us. Um, there was a few others. Um, I think the New York City Bad Boys did Veronica, but that came after us. Um, so we knew we wanted to do a record that had that, like that that MC and that beatbox. But Wise always was um, what people what people call the human mix machine or what we call the human mix machine. So that role that you see Dougie do when he goes that, that came from Wise. Like that's totally Wise's sound. Dougie bit that from Wise. Um, and, and, and in the beginning, he was the only dude doing the scratches. Now, some guys came a little after him that were doing it a little different, like Reddy Rock when he was with Will Smith. Um, What's this guy named Earl? There's a beatbox named Earl. His first name is Earl. I can't get the last name. This dude dope. It's crazy. On, but but you know what? You can see it on my um on my Instagram. I grabbed this piece when Wise and them was on television, and they did all of these. Um, they were doing this. You know, it wasn't even a competition. They were just all showing different styles. So him and then um the kid. I think his name is 
I don't know if his name is Dr. Rock, but the kid that was on Nia Records, that dude was dope too. Because he was the first dude before Biz to do that. That's stuff. And so, but Wise was doing, you know, more drum rolls, more scratches, like that kind of thing. I think what Wise brought to the human beatbox world was, uh, and you know, and Buffy existed, God bless the dead. Buffy existed before Wise. But besides for Buff, I think Wise was the guy to hold it down for making that full song with the guy. You know what I'm saying? I, I know Dougie and Rick did it. They did it almost like a tongue-in-cheek type of thing, and the bigger record became the show anyway. You know what I mean? But um, but Wise and Buff, who both are from East New York, by the way, kind of held down as the music for the MC. You know, like, and Doug can't really be that because the Get Fresh crew was a big old crew, so it still had Barry, still had Will. In the very beginning, it just used to be me, Delight, and Wise. And we would go around and kill, like kill every block party. Like every place we went, we would burn it down because he was making, and people never really had heard a beatbox through all those things. And he could also, you know, we used to have a, we used to have this routine called can of beatbox. And um, it's like can of beatbox, you know, all these sounds. And so we, you know, he could even mimic Buff. He could do the, the the little crackles that Dougie could do. Like, he could do all that stuff, but then he would always show his own. So I think that, um, and then, you know, I mean, probably more conclusively than anything else, Stetsasonic being a hip-hop band, we've always looked at Wise, even though he sometimes would rhyme, we always looked at Wise as part of the band. So our band was four members. It was a drummer with Bobby Simmons. It was a keyboard sampling guy with DVC. It was Prince Paul with the turntables and Wise with the human mix machine. So that's the other thing is that Wise was actually an instrument in a band, which I don't think any of those beatbox guys could make that claim. Let's talk about, let's talk about the band aspect of, of, of Stessasonic. I mean, I think now having a live band in hip hop is kind of commonplace. You know, you, you, you go to a show and you're not like, holy shit, what the hell are they trying to do? You know, type thing. But back right. when you guys were going on tour, um, why did you guys decide? Well, first, why did you decide to do a live band uh, versus just straight, you know, a, you know, two turntables and you guys and, and real, real, real simple answer because we were afraid that we would never be able to duplicate the stuff that we made. So in the very beginning, I say this all the time: making records was whack to hip hop, and the reason it was whack was I always say you think about run. Think about that live at the fun house. Here we go, record. Now, if you say you heard my rhyme, we're going to have to fight because I just made the motherfucker up last night. It was always about going out in the park with a new rhyme every night, right? So we we said, if we make a record, then now that record is going to be like, you know, it's like we saying the same rhyme every night. So I'm talking about not only us, but it, that was a general consensus among hip hop. It was tough for cats in hip hop to make records because they just didn't want to make records. You notice there's really no records for Fantastic Five. There's really no records for the Cold Crush. You can find a couple of little plates that they did. Um, Cold Crush did that thing on Epic, the punk rock rap, and I think they did one of a Fresh Fly, Wild and Bold, but they that's the sentiment. Like, what are we, you know, what, what can we do? Um, you know, we can't make records. Um, so in the beginning, making records was whack. So 
Now that we're getting ready to make a record and we knew we were going to record what we were going to do, we were like, how in the hell are we going to duplicate this? And remember, I'm telling you, we're a stage band. So we're like, how in the hell are we going to duplicate this on stage? And the only thing was, we just going to have to take everything on the stage. I was like, everything? I was like, yeah, we're going to have to take everything on the stage. Because back then, there was no Serato. There was no way of like pressing something and scratching it. The only people that had like wax that they used for their show was Run DMC. They used to go to this uh, company called Europa Disc, and they used to print um, wax for Jay, God bless the dead. But running them had money, so they could do it. We didn't have the money, and Tommy Boy wasn't going to pay, pay for it. As a matter of fact, if you check it out, all of those, a lot of those 12 inches that came out around that time, the back, the backside wasn't really an instrumental, it was what we call a TV track with like with all the ad libs and the choruses, because that's the way they would do it. So they could perform it. You know, they would sell it like that, but they would do that so the DJs could play it underneath them when they got on stage. So we became a band because we just wanted to take everything on stage with us. What's good, y'all? This is Breeze Bruin from the Mighty Juggernauts. And make sure you subscribe and download the podcast, Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einan Kell. Hip hop journalism on the highest level. Where knowledge is forming, you learn to be self sufficient, independent. To teach the East is what rap is making. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.